Reva, I'm disappointed in you. You remember the Hanukkah party? Yeah. You remember at the Hanukkah party you were wearing the jean jacket. And while you were wearing the jean jacket, you asked me to come back onto the podcast. I did. I did. Um, I'm not sure what that has to do with the jean jacket. And I said, I'm happy to come back onto the podcast, but only if we both wear jean jackets. Uh, is there any kind of evidence? Uh, I have I have a recollection of asking you to come back. Yeah. So welcome back. It's great to have you. Yeah. I mean, so far it hasn't been very pleasant, but but I, I, I don't remember anything about a jean jacket. I have no jean jacket. Well... You said there I was. We were we were we were downstairs. You said come back in the podcast. I said only if we both wear jean jackets. And here I am. I brought a jean jacket, and there you are sitting in 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 what is that? A navy blue. This is what I wear. This is like I don't walk around in a jean jacket, and I have no recollection of this jean jacket promise. Okay, I I just want you to know this is how we're starting off. This is you know this is the note that you wanted to set. Okay, I understand you chose to begin this with a reference to. To something I have no recollection. I expected that you would have remembered. Yeah, I'm getting older. Okay, okay, that's not my issue. <laughs> um, I had some ideas for yeah. what I wanted to discuss with you today, um, which is a lot of things that I've been going through since the last time we spoke. Uh, some of the audience uh, might remember that I I left yeshiva. Um, I left two years of learning in Israel, uh, where I was, I was learning uh, Jewish law and Jewish spirituality and, uh, uh, and Musser, uh, you know, day in and day out for, um, throughout my day. Um, uh, and, you know, here I am, I'm back in the States. Um, you know, I'm back in, in New York and I'm finding it very difficult. I'm finding staying inspired difficult. I'm finding maintaining an appetite for Torah on a regular, healthy basis to be difficult. And this is part of what I wanted to discuss with you. I want to ask you a couple of questions. They might be helpful to uh, to people who are trying to stay inspired. I think young people, which I still count myself, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, go throughout their lives and experience at certain points in their life great, fantastic moments of connection to something, to some to that which is larger than them. And they say, this is fantastic. This is amazing. I feel shalom. I feel at peace. And then, and then they go back into routine. Right. They go back into day-to-day -day life. Yeah. And that spark of inspiration that they felt so strongly feels diluted, mm -hmm. feels broken, feels cut off, and they feel a certain sense of of loss because they're trying to rebuild it, um, but their attempts to rebuild it are, are often not fruitful. And I'm trying very, very hard to maintain my relationship with Hashem, my relation, my appetite 
to learn. Uh, my, uh, but it's difficult, you know, once, you know, you're, you're back in the world uh, and, yeah. and, and, you know, you're trying to make money, you're trying to figure out, you know, your day to day, you're dealing with this issue and that issue and, you know, your family and, or some chaotic thing that's go that happened in the streets that just set you off. So you see, you see someone do something horrible and you're reminded that people have such capacity to do horrible things and then you know this idea that you, that you can reconnect with that with that connection that you were that you had before you you forget it was real in the first place so my question to start is how do you suggest people stay inspired yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis you know when 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 all the chaos of life is just thrown right into their yeah. face so first of all let's acknowledge that the, the difference in your life and the difference in anyone's life when they're coming back from a highly spiritual experience like you had in Israel and Yeshiva, it's going to be different. The expectations might have to be a little different, but I don't want to alter the expectations too much because Judaism was not only meant for the Yeshiva, right? That's why, and I think this is part of the answer, um, and it's going to look a little different for everyone, but I think I'm just going to share sort of like a, va a Jewish value that, you know, we say in our prayers, Ki hem yameinu, that the Torah is our life. Life is spent in the office. Life is spent in the kitchen. Life is spent in the bedroom. Life is spent just earning, eking out a living. Life was not necessarily, you know, meant to be in the Beit Midrash, in the study hall where you can feel God's presence in every word of Torah that you study. Or maybe you know, for our ancestors, in more of a God-intoxicated society where miracles were happening. How do you feel God in the everyday? I mean, how do you? I mean, you, you, you're one of the, Rabbi, you're one of the busiest men that I know. You're, you, you have, you're on five different phone calls at the exact same time, in the middle of 20 com text conversations at the exact same time with the phone calls. Then you're in, then you're in a meeting while all, that, all, all those are going on. Then you have a, then you have a class at night. How do you do it? How do you stay connected? Well, so first of all, I'll just say I struggle with this too because of that kind of crazy life. Uh, and I, I, I'm not answering this from the perspective of someone who has mastered this. I'm answering it from the perspective of someone who also struggles with it. But I do believe and I do find personal spiritual meaning and focus and connection in a certain routine that I set up for myself. Okay, that routine starts with waking up and saying the Moda'ani and thanking God for life. And then the washing, the Negelwasser, and then going to Minyan and having that 30 or, you know, Mondays and Thursdays, 45 minutes of being connected with my talit and tefillin on um, and just having that moment. And then it gets broken up later in the day for Mencha and Marav. Those little respites are very, very important. They keep us in the game. But that's not enough. Yes. I, yeah. Those moments, the Moda'ani in the morning, davening, you know, finding those little, those little tiny moments, how do they not become rote? I, I, 
you know, I, I, I struggle with davening in this kind of way because I believe, like you're saying, that these are the, that these are the opportunities with which to take and to find those, those connections yeah. within, within the day, those moments of inspiration. But so often I'm in a minion uh, with, other, with other people and, and you know, I'm, I'm looking and I'm around other people and, you know, and they're, they're racing through it because they have to get to the next thing. I'm looking at, you know, they're, they're saying the words while they're looking around, but like they're just like they're just coming out like it's machine. Uh, right, but that doesn't have to – that might be true and, and, and that's not great. Um, and that is a certain reality when you do something every day, three times a day. It's going to lend itself to monotony and like rolling of the eyes. Um, the reason we pray three times a day is because there are certain values in there that we have to constantly remind ourselves, right? It's kind of like a personal mission statement. We get so easily distracted, we forget why we're here. What's our purpose? What's our mission? So even if it's the same words, my answer to that is constantly, and I said this actually this past Shabbat, you weren't here to hear it, unfortunately. Um, Torah learning is the fuel for mitzvah observance. If you're not learning something new, something different, and you think you can continue to drive the car without that gasoline, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna run out of fuel. The Torah is the fuel, and you know if you if you embrace the learning experience and constantly try to develop a deeper understanding of those same prayers, mm -hmm. a deeper understanding of human existence on the philosophical level, a deeper understanding of why this is okay to eat and that's not okay to eat. If you're not growing in your learning, right. the mitzvah observance is going to get monotonous. It's going to get stale. Right. So I, I, I've, I've been saying this for years and um, ask people. I'm just going to ask people who, are, who, are, who don't struggle with the monotony. I mean, I think everyone struggles with the monotony. Ask someone who's been successful, who's like, you know, somebody just said this to me. Um, I just forgot who said this to me that he always, whenever he's, he's met a lot of Gedolim, a lot of great, great rabbinic sages of the generation, they all seem to have this one childlike quality of excitement. They're still excited. Now you say to yourself, this guy looks like he's in his eighties. How the heck is he still excited about doing something he's been doing since he was five? Right. I was learning, I was learning. Uh, a bit of Chavos Halavavos, uh, Duties of the Heart um, over Shabbos. And he was speaking about uh, maintaining childlike wonder uh, in everything, in, you know, in, 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 seeing, in seeing the stars every day, in seeing, you know, in seeing the trees and the flowers and, and you know, the fruits you're about to eat every single day. And he says, and he says, don't, don't fall into this into this idea that just because you did something and you're used to it or you've seen something and you're accustomed to it that uh, uh, that that you're that it's just supposed to be you know a fact of your life mm -hmm. don't he he's suggesting don't fall into that when you see something when you're about to when you're about to pray over uh, uh, e eating an apple when, when you're when you when you see the clouds and the stars and the skies see them as if you were seeing them for the yeah. first time. Challenge yourself to see them anew constantly because that's how you that's how you fight the monotonous instinct. The right. instinct and, to and, and would you say this is excellent, would you say 
That's being present and mindful. In other words, you know, we talk about being an observant Jew. Yeah. So it's like I'm, I'm observing, I'm, I'm looking at the sky, I'm, I'm not just going through it. Even while I'm eating, I'm savoring the food. That's what mindful you know, practices are about. That's why blessings, I think, are so important for that. Right? Is that what you're talking about yeah. a little? Yeah. Because, because how do you not see it as just something you did yesterday and you're going to do again tomorrow? But, not, but blessings, but not just blessings, things that you take for granted throughout the day uh, in, in your day-to-day -day life. Uh, you know, um, going out, you know, seeing the sun shining down on your face, seeing, feeling a breeze brush over you on your, on your walk to work on, on Fifth Avenue, uh, and feeling these things and seeing these moments and saying, this is, this is not just day to day. These are beautiful things. And, and, and the more that I can take the moments or find the moment, find that millisecond to notice that, you know, this is part of the whole picture, mm -hmm. then I can, then maybe I can begin to fight the monotony, the monotonous that is tearing down. And how do you do that then? Let's dig a little deeper. How do you get to a place where you don't just look at, you know, the beautiful expanse of the sky and just move on because you're busy? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, the, well, I, I want... you realize, Daniel, you do something. I'm sorry to cut you off. You do something right now that is designed to help make you more aware of that. And that's prayer. The goal, one of the goals of prayer is to get you to start seeing things like, you know, the bracha we make when we come out of the bathroom, the blessing, favorite, the, my favorite, favorite blessing. Favorite blessing. Favorite now, why? Blessing. Because how often do we think about the plumbing and whether the plumbing is working? Okay. So, okay. It's like going to the bathroom is like an annoyance, but if you actually think about what just happened now, but most people don't do that. We're too busy or when, or we're too distracted. Maybe we're not even that busy. Maybe we're just playing video games, but we've decided not to think about our bodies. Right. That's what, the, that's what the prayer does. It forces you on some level to take notice of things we are just ignoring. One of the blessings in the NCSY venture, at least, and it's, and it's taken from Brachos, is um, the blessing it, over um, the fen Hashem's phenomena of the, of the world. And one of the, one of the instructions in at least the NCSY venture is you can say this blessing even when you see a beautiful person. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember what the what the blessing. Was. Yeah, I have the bracha here somewhere that you make it over a um, uh, beautiful creature. Beautiful creature, and I did I that I saw that a couple of a couple of years ago, and, and I was just like, that's that's so beautiful. Um, I there's a story that you've brought up before, and and it's connected to something that I've been that I think about all the time. Uh, 1967. The, war, the warriors, the soldiers who found their way to the Kotel. The, you tell that story about, the, about them crying over, the, uh, over uh, approaching the, the Kotel. Uh, and you said that um, uh, one, of, one of the very religious guys, you know, was, you know, was crying at the Kotel. And it was obvious why he would cry at, you know, the, the Jewish people's extraordinary return uh, to uh, to our to our holy site, and then there was another um, there was another uh, soldier there, a secular soldier, uh, who was also crying, and he was asked, "Why? Well, you know, we know why we know why this guy's crying, but why are you crying?" He's saying, "I'm crying because 
I don't feel this right now. And I, and, and I want to. Yeah. I, at Machen Yaakov, we were privileged to be on the edge of the Jerusalem forest. And in, when class ended uh, in, uh, in second Seder, the afternoon Seder, there would be these extraordinary sunsets uh, over the forest that you could see from our uh, mere passet, from our balcony, where we would have class. And I, I looked at these sunsets every single day, and sometimes I could connect to the, you know, to the this idea that this is a, this is a gift from Hashem, that this is a creation from Hashem. But more often than that, I would stare at the sunset, angry and disturbed that I wasn't feeling that, mm. that it was just another yeah. sunset, even though I could see that it was beautiful, but it wasn't hitting me and I wanted to constantly to build to bridge that connection so I, I think it, I think it's a choice Daniel I think it's a choice I don't think feelings operate in vacuum in a vacuum sometimes a feeling takes over us for you know but usually we're feeling something because we put ourselves in a certain environment we take in certain actions we're engaged in certain behaviors that's what evokes feelings that's why the, the, this um, great rabbi once taught, after one's actions, follow one's heart. So we're all waiting for this great thrill, this great moment. But the way we bring about those feelings and those sentiments is by actually engaging in certain activities. That's why Torah, Judaism, is mitzvah-centered. It's all about the activities in which you engage. You throw yourself into a certain environment. And I'm going to go back to your original question. How do you do it when you're not in yeshiva, when you're going to work every day and you have a regular life? Surround yourself with the right people and make sure that you have checkpoints every day to be able to be spiritually connected by involving yourself in mitzvot. Whether that's reciting a blessing before something we eat, whether we're doing it at work or at home whether it's the prayers that we talked about before, it's the Torah study, it's not gossiping other people and thinking to myself, right now, I have this juicy piece of gossip, but I'm not going to share it because I want to follow the Torah. That is a spiritual moment. That's going to make you feel something. But sometimes it's super, super, duper ju juicy, Rabbi. It's very, it's usually juicy. That's why Russian horror is hard to stay away from. <laughs> but, but you hear what I'm saying? I'm yeah. saying like, it's a choice. It's not just like, Rabbi, either I'm going to have the feelings or not. I'm sure. saying, if you want to have the feelings, you've got to do the actions. Sure. But on top of that, let's... Okay, let's and it doesn't always happen. It's not like we're not computer chips where you can insert the data right. and outcome. But you're going to quadruple the chances of feeling something right. in the morning if you wrap some tefillin and, and say some words than sure. if you don't do that. But at the same time, while, while you're going through physical action, I think it's a, an amazing thing that we have physical actions every day uh, embedded within our within our mitzvot, within our commandments, that you take a that you take a moment to uh, to breathe it in in a certain way. If you, you're saying a you're, you're you say a blessing over a over a roll of sushi, you say a shehakol. See see the see the fish that 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 grew in the sea. See the see the grains that that grew in the field. See the see the seaweed that was that was that was plucked from from the ocean. All these things that, that came together, creations 
uh, uh, creations from above in a certain way, see them all coming together, and then say, say your bracha. A, an, a physical action. But, but, but maybe, you, maybe you won't see that until you do the bracha. In other words, you want, you want the blessing to somehow express this great feeling or sentiment or thought. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're not having the thought. Let's say you're just in a not a great mood. Yeah. How do you then shift? How do you shift yourself from mood A to mood B? I'm a moody person. No, you can change your mood. You, you know, there's studies done about when you see people smile at you. So if you're not feeling like smiling, I always tell people smile anyway because it changes the way you feel about yourself, changes the way other people look at you. So I, I just think that's that's um, my, you know my main answer to your question, which right. is that that if we engage in certain activities, and of course those with the mitzvah are designed to do, they're there to create certain thoughts and sentiments. Now I said something else is passionate about you. Also missed this, which is how do you know? if your thoughts and your actions are going to be carried on to the next generation, if you feel that they're the right thoughts and actions. You want your kids, your grandchildren, to be living this kind of life too. And the answer to that also is activities. Because kids don't pick up on sentiments. We talked about this in yeshiva all the time. Your kids, they need to see you being, they need to see you inspired. If they see because kids are incredibly smart, they're extraordinarily observant, yeah. and the more, we, the more we take from a child's curiosity and we bring it into our daily practice, the better off we'll be. Agreed. Your kids will see any inkling of monotonous nature within right. your right. observance. If you're not inspired, what reason, what reason would, would your kids have to be inspired? If it's, if it's just... If it's just run, going through the motions in shul three times a day, if it's just going through the motions, you know, saying, saying a blessing over my Poland Springs seltzer, 100% natural, uh, um, you know, they'll notice. They'll know that it's just like, that it's just not clicking for you. And there's no reason why it would click for them. This is, I mean. It's a big problem. And, and parents are people too. And just because you're religious and committed to this, to making blessings and going to shul and sending your kids to day school doesn't mean you're inspired all the time. Kids pick up on that. But look, people, you know, parents are people too, you know, and um, kids understand, I think, also that they're human beings. But if generally speaking, you're not excited about your Judaism, very difficult to think that your kids will be. We talked, I mean, on this idea of building good habits with mitzvos, embedding them into your day at the pace that's right for you. One of the, the, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which has been incredibly important to me on my journey and something that we, we discussed a lot uh, in, in yeshiva, which is finding the Torah that speaks to you, mm-hmm. finding those areas of Torah that uh, open up those those that inspiration within you. Um, we spoke a lot in our last um, episode about you know the uh, the Kabbalah. We spoke about you know we spoke about the Tanya, um, and we spoke about a deep emotional uh, connection with uh, with the spirituality that sits under the mitzvahs. Um, and these were these were things that I was hinting at were th- things that I'm 
finding uh, exciting that, that are keeping me afloat. Um, and uh, my question is, how do you encourage people to find what Torah, what Torah is right for them to learn, to build, to build a relationship with and, and to, uh, to hold on to them while they're building those habits with them? First of all, I just will say before I answer how, it's incredibly important for someone to find, like I, every Jewish person, in my opinion, should be able to answer when you ask them, what do you like to learn? You should be able to answer that question. What do you like to learn? I mean, it depends on the day, but um, right now I happen to be taking a deeper dive into Kabbalah and Hasidus. Um, but I still love learning a lot of the Talmud and a lot of the law and giving classes on Jewish law. Um, I love learning Chumash. I love, but you know, there's a high... Rabbi, what's igniting the fire? I mean, a lot of that stuff ignites my fire. It just depends. I'm different every day. We all are. But it, what you said before, Daniel, is incredibly important. Not everybody, even if they've been to 12 years of Jewish day school and yeshiva, can really answer that question and to say, here's what really does it for me. Now, when you find the Torah that does it for you, Rav Cook, the late and great Rav Cook, Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook, the first chief rabbi of the state of Israel, said that, that you have hit on something and you have to take that seriously. I love Rav Cook. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> Yeah, but 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 it's it's not like um, oh that's just your preference. You really need to balance it out. You should, you know, I wouldn't tell somebody to just learn Kabbalah and not study the Parsha every week and not study, you know, basic Jewish law, the meat and potatoes of Judaism. You need a balance, but you should focus on that which really inspires you. And everybody has something that's a little different because each of our souls, the Kabbalists teach, are a little different, and therefore different parts of Torah is going to resonate with them. So how do they find it, Rabbi? You got to just, you got to, I just literally had this conversation with my daughter who's studying in seminary in yeshiva in Israel. And she was frustrated with a certain class. And I said, stick with it long enough to really see that it's not doing it for you. And once you really, really see, we'll have you switch out and you try a different class. And you got to just keep, you're going to find it. You'll know it when you learn it. <laughs> you know, it's like, you'll know it when you see it. It, and, and this is one of those things that sort of comes out in the wash. You can't stay learning something too long that you don't like. It's like friends. You don't really stay connected with people that you don't like. You just, how long can you suck it up for? So at some point, it's just going to come out in the wash. And when you find what you really like, grab it and study every permutation of it. Find out teachers who are masters of it and learn it and just... And just bask in it and enjoy it. And um, I think one of the problems in uh, a lot of Jewish education is that there's this one size fits all. Everybody's got to learn the same stuff. And unfortunately, it doesn't do it for everybody. You know, so I think that's really, really important. But there's no easy way about this. If you don't give yourself a couple of chances to learn different things, you're not going to you're not going to find what, what really works for you. Right. You know, it's like walking into a suit store and, you know, I don't like this, but there's 20 other suits you haven't even looked at. Right. Spend the time, take this jacket off, put that one on, see how it fits, see how it feels. That's what you have to do. I mean, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to choose from. Right. 
what's inspiring um, the way that I've attempted to find my way in what kind of Torah um, speaks to me that I can grow in and learn in and allows helps me find those moments in my day of connection. I, I don't know if it's even a particular school of thought in, in Judaism. I'm just constantly seeking moments of beauty. I'm, I'm trying to find them throughout the day. Uh, in Israel, you know, I, I came across, um, Chavos Halavavos, uh, and it's particularly the chapter Shar B'china. Maybe let everyone know who's uh, listening. Right. So Cholos Halavavos, uh, Duties of the Heart by Rabbi... Uh, Ibn Pakuda. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he has a chapter in the book um, about the, called The Gates of Awareness, um, which is all about finding Hashem in the world throughout your day, in music, in... In the phys in in nature, um, in in human creation, um, uh, and seeing and, and you know the brachas over the fruits and the apples and and all these things and I you know I found this safer um, I I lost it I, got, I actually lost it on a bus and I went all across Jerusalem to find it, uh, to, to get to this like corner, like- Did you get it? Did you find I got, it? I got it, I got it, because I, I was connecting with this, with this, uh, with this book. Um, and it's, I, I opened it up again this, uh, about a week ago, um, because I've been, I've just been, I've been struggling. I, 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 I've been struggling because, you know, I mean, life is hard. <laughs> um, and it, you know, when life is hard, it, it's, it's so difficult to, to bring yourself back to uh to bring yourself back to to learning to to observing in a connected way um but we have to daniel i can't emphasize this enough how important it is to to be able to become an observant Jew within the real world so to speak yeah. no I, I as amazing as yeshiva is you know it's I, it's a bubble you know I, i'm not wearing i i'm not wearing i don't I don't believe I'm wearing yeshiva goggles constantly where I'm just like, you know, it's not like this. So, so in the real world, so, you know, I, I, something's off. I, I knew, and this is one of the difficult things in my final year in yeshiva. I knew I was leaving. I knew I was going back and I knew all the struggles and all the things that I was dealing with before yeshiva, you know, how to, how to be an artist, uh, and and make a living and you know find find a way to you know one day you know build a family all these big life questions you know just raining down like raining down i'm a very dramatic person like i think your audience can tell this is this is what happens well you're happens. an actor you're an actor and you're not putting it on this is who you are um, I, I i i struggled so much in my final year because i knew that that was what was coming that i would have to attempt to rebuild you know, connections and find inspiration while everything was just so difficult. Um, and I, I, it's been very difficult and I've been talking with you about how it's been incredibly difficult. Uh, so I, I made a lot of changes recently. Uh, you know, I, uh, I moved to Borough Park. <laughs> I don't, I'm not suggesting people move to Borough Park, but no, I, but you know what you did? I mean, can I just tell everybody? Sure. Where Daniel moved 
to an area, which is a pretty religious area, where he could be with some other graduates of this school. Yeah. And by doing that, it's, it's actually a very, very, um, you know, we live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And I'm not saying this works for everybody, especially if you can afford it. <laughs> um, but the reason this community started was so that people could support each other while they're in this transitional stage between singlehood and marriage and trying to live a life of observance, of Torah observance. Um, you did the same thing by going to Borough Park which is great because there are no Robinson and Caruso's in Judaism, my rabbi used to say. You can't do this yourself. Yeah. So, You're literally setting yourself up for failure right. if you, if, if, otherwise. Right. And it's it's a beautiful community in Borough Park. I, I, I you know, just, there's been there's been moments of beauty that I'm, that I'm starting to find those building blocks back, you know, in in this machine of a city, in this chaos in uh, of, a, of a place. I've been trying so hard to find these moments and, you know, like on Shabbos, I was, I was not ready to get to shul on time. Uh, I, I was, I was sleeping and, you know, the, the Rebbe of this community who has access to our apartment, he, he, he opens my door and he's, and he, and he says, he says, Daniel, come on, we're, get up, get, Daniel, come on, we're, we're escorting the chassan down to, down to shul. Like it's the red carpet. We need you. Is it one of the guys in the, uh, was in getting the, in the house is getting, uh, just had his wedding last night. And I was like, and, and I was thinking like immediately I woke, I woke up and I was like, you know, I was woken up by a rabbi who told me to come because we were escorting a, we're escorting a groom to shul like it was the red carpet. <laughs> well, can I ask you a question? Is that rabbi available on the West side on Saturday mornings? Cause one of the issues, and maybe I can ask you this, how would you help me as a rabbi get my parishioners? <laughs> the members of the Manhattan Jewish Experience, who fill our pews every week, just to get them there a little earlier. How would you inspire that change? Yeah, that, that's, that's very difficult. They, they, you need, you, well, if one- Do I have to hire, do I have to personally go to people's homes? I don't think that's gonna really work on the West Side. <laughs> I probably won't even get into the building. You know, I'll be like knocking on the door. It's like they don't all live in doorman buildings. That come on to be an inspiring thing you, you, with your talisman. You know. Well, does he have the key, this rabbi? Uh, uh, he has the code. Okay, so, the, so that's the answer. MG ears from now on have to give me <laughs> access to their homes and their fortunes. That, uh, that would be one. Both of those things would be excellent for MG. Yeah, the bank account numbers, as long as you're letting me into the house. Sure. Can I get some more information? Yeah. No, absolutely. So I can swipe your card. Yeah. Um, so just just these moments, you know. Should I, we talk about the MJ dinner? Because we talked about oh, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. MJ dinner. March 21st. It's my birthday. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And you were an honoree at one of the dinners. Were you not? I was the. You were the student, student awardee, the student of the year. It's your birthday. What a great way to celebrate your birthday that by coming to MJ dinner. As should everyone else. Look at Please celebrate Look at the Daniel's birthday by coming to... Smile. Um, Come to the MJ dinner. Nissan Black is coming to perform. I love Nissan Black. He's awesome. He's fantastic. Yeah. You, you had him on the podcast. I, I love his I love his story. I love his passion for Torah. I see... He's like... Nassim Black is one of... Is, is one of the Jews, one of the many Jews that I look to, and I see, you know, this person is connected, this person is inspired, this person is, uh, I mean, I'm sure, you know, every, every Jew struggles with relationship yeah. connection, 
but to see other Jews. Yeah, and he made that choice in his life, that turn. Sure, but to be around other Jews who you can feel within them connection that you're trying to build within yourself, that's that that's that part of community, that, that's that aspect of community that's helpful for for this a lot of what we're we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that all these things that we're talking about, fighting monotonous observance, fighting routine, not routine is incredibly important, but when routine gets us down and we forget those moments of inspiration, what we're really doing is we're fighting time in a way, Mm -hmm. because the more monotonous things are, the more time just, just zips zips by and you wake you wake up and suddenly you're years older i think that i think that this is something that i thought about in yeshiva i think that our practice our much of our halacha much of our hashkafa our philosophy is designed around fighting time winning over time and and making a moment extend uh, making a day extend making making an occasion extend and stretch so you mm-hmm. so you, uh, maybe if you don't, well in meaning in meaning maybe if you don't actually make it to 120 that you feel like you, you did <laughs> because you know time goes faster when you're when it's more meaningful and enjoyable seems to really trudge along slower when we're not engaged terribly you know in anything terribly meaningful right you know right so to continue on this on this thread of small moments, small opportunities to connect, uh, you know, I I write three pages a day. I I've mentioned this before. I'm on. You're a big journaler. Well, I I started this the, I started this practice from this book called The Artist's Way. A lot of artists would be familiar with this book, and one of the instructions was to write three pages a day to God. Uh, and I started this, um, whatever, I, I started this five years ago. I'll come up upon the occasion on the 1st of March uh, that um, I will um, I will have made it five years of wow. every single day, not a day wow. missed. Um, of, do you read it over? No, what do I want to do that for? I want to read it over. From like four or five years ago? It'd be cool to see. No, it wouldn't be cool to see. It's just, I, so, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm in a constant state of trying to reach out and, and connect and it's, and it's difficult. It, it's difficult. I guess the other question I want to ask is, you know, when you have these moments where you feel connected and I think, I think most people in their lives at some point feel connected or, and are trying to reach out and are trying to, to be connected to that, which is larger than them. My question is, what do they do when they're disappointed? When, when they feel as though, oh, you know, we, we had this thing going on. We had this relationship. And now I feel as though I've been forgotten or I've been ignored. And, you know, that this, you know, we were so well and now I'm dealing with these struggles and I feel as though you're not listening to me anymore. You're talking about God now? Yeah, I'm talking about god i'm talking about hashem and i think i think i think people 
struggle with this. Something comes about in their life, maybe something terrible. Maybe maybe they just are, maybe they just are bored and they don't want to be anymore. And they feel as they say they say you know we had such a good relationship, we were we were connected, and now I feel as though you're. You're not listening to me. What, what do people well, do? So I, I, I do think we have to learn, and this is hard, but this is part of growing up. I'm not saying you're immature and you need to grow up, but it could be true. Um, it could be true. Um, I have no claims that I am a mature individual. You know, a, a lot of people will, will say that they feel God is there and listening when things are going great, and God has abandoned them when things are going bad. Yeah. And the idea of the religious personality is supposed to get to a place where we see everything coming from Hashem, the good, bad, and ugly. And the Talmud says this, Kishem Shemavarchin al-Hatov, Kach Mavarchin al-Hara. Would you just plug a Clint Eastwood film into this? Was it? I don't know. But we make blessings not only on the good, but God forbid somebody passes away, we make a bracha. We say, Diana Hayamet, God is a Jew. Because we believe that, that everything that happens is somehow orchestrated by God. Now that makes us more angry with God because how could God allow that to happen? And how's that God part of God's plan? Yeah. But every situation, the good and the not so good, okay, I'm being a little more euphemistic, uh, is really there to, to develop us in some kind of way. You know, so to that that's a something we have to work on, on not seeing bad things as an expression of God's abandonment. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. When my mother got sick and passed away, I was angry and I felt distant from Hashem. What did you do? Well, I stayed the course because I had really good teachers and role models who helped keep me in the game. And keeping me in the game meant um, not losing my faith and maintaining my relationship and continuing to daven and continuing to learn. And I was a rabbi already. Um, and that really helped me see that as another opportunity for growth. I would never tell somebody if they're going through what I went through at that time or anybody's negative. This is a great opportunity for you to grow. Okay? <laughs> this is so perfect for you. This disease, God forbid. You never say that to the person. But theologically, spiritually, that's what we believe it's there for. The Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, wrote this, that Every person's life predicament is their challenge that is being given to them to get to the next place. By the way, he says this, he gives us examples. He says a, a poor person is tested to see whether or not they can become satisfied with the little they have. A rich person, he said, is also tested to see whether or not they become indifferent to the plight of the poor. There's no such thing as anything that happens to us in life that isn't there for us to somehow grow from. So it's easier said than done, but I think that should be the goal. So what did they say to you when you were going through this with your mother? They were just there for me. So they were, they were present? They were just present, just like a good friend or a therapist is not going to say, this is happening for this reason, you need to do this because of that. You don't do that. That's... So there was no judgment on the anger that you were feeling? No, not at all. Not at all. And I would never... <laughs> you know, look down on someone or tell someone any negative because they got angry with God. If you get angry with God when something goes wrong, that means you have a relationship with God. The problem is if you have no feelings, that's an issue. Then that shows that there's a problem. If you get angry, that means you have a relationship. You get angry with friends, you get angry with people you love.
So I think that's actually a very natural positive reaction. But in order to stay in the game intellectually, to see like that life isn't just, you know, the holiday of Purim is coming up, of poor, of just like stuff just happening. It's random. That's unfortunately that if, if you can't start seeing some meaning, I'm not saying you understand why it's happening. Because no one, I don't pretend to be able to know that. Rav Salvechik said, you know, to ask why something bad is happening to someone is an exercise in futility. What we should ask is what? What do I do with the situation? How do I grow from it? How do I incorporate it into my life so it becomes a growth experience, opportunity? That's what we're trying to do. How do you carry it? And, how do, and, and, and not ignore it. How do you, how do you, how do you carry it uh, with you? How do you care? Number one, you have to cope. So first of all, you just need coping mechanisms. That's A, because you don't want it to destroy you, God forbid. You don't want it to just put you so back, you, can't, you just can't deal with reality because it's so devastating. That happens to people. So coping mechanisms, and that's why you need friends, you need people who love you, who are not judging your feelings, and are just there with you. It says this in the prophets, Imo anuchi I'm with you in your pain. You need to feel that someone else, and that's why it was helpful to me when I met other people who lost parents or, you know, uh, or that. Um, I was able to be that for Jill when she lost her parents because I'd been through that. So that was helpful to her. So that's A. B. So in a certain, you were able to, when someone else doesn't have the strength within themselves, in this regard, you were able to carry a certain level of strength for them. That's what, yeah, you lean, that's what it means to lean on somebody. Like, I don't have the capability right now. I need somebody else. Like, I literally can't walk. So someone, you put your arm around, and they, they help you walk. You can't do it yourself. Which is, why, which is why somebody would have a rabbi in the first place. A rabbi, a teacher, a mentor, 100%. Community. A community. That's the other problem, is that not enough of our, none of us, not, not enough of us belong to a community. Whatever problem you're going through needs to matter to other people. I mean, this is why in order for us to feel that love and, and that support. But I want to get to the second phase. The second phase is, is, is what, after you cope, you make meaning and sense out of it. Because then if you can't do that, then you lose hope. Famous story, Viktor Frankl, who was in the concentration camps. And his bunkmate had this reoccurring dream that they were going to be liberated on a certain night, a certain day. And the day came and it went no liberation. He died in his sleep. Now, Frankel wrote that ostensibly he died of typhus, which is something that a lot of Jews succumb to in the camps. But he believed that just like you and I need oxygen to breathe, we need purpose and meaning. Life cannot be seen as Purim, as random. We can't survive that way. That's why there's so much depression in the world, I believe. There's less depression amongst people who believe in something greater than themselves, who believe that they're part of something bigger, that there's a plan, even if I don't understand the plan. And I don't get why God threw me this curveball right now. But I know that curveball is part of some bigger plan. That allows me to stay in the game. All right, I may need some psychological coping mechanisms, but it allows me to truly uh, understand that this was somehow necessary for my continued spiritual growth. And if you have that be belief, that can carry you through a lot. Rabbi, on, on many of the themes that, that we've discussed, um, and on this theme of things that 
inspire, I thought, uh, I thought we could do something to close. Um, I took a very strong liking, as we mentioned before, to, um, uh, to Rav Cook. Um, and I, 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 in my own extracurricular uh, time, I went through some of his uh, Sepharim in Yeshiva, but I thought what distilled his ideas so uh, succinctly were his poems. Yeah, yeah beautiful poetry. Uh, so I, there's a poem that I want to read with you. Let's do it. Uh, to close. I brought two copies. I want to read, I want to read, I want to go one stanza to the next stanza. I'll read one stanza, you read the next stanza, and we'll do it like that. Okay, go for it. You start. Okay. Um, and this is some, this is just something that inspires me. Uh, I feel connected to it's called the whispers of existence. All existence whispers to me a secret. I have life to offer. Take it, take it. If you have a heart and in that heart red blood courses, which despair has not soiled. But if your heart is dulled and beauty holds no spell to you, existence whispers, leave me, leave. I'm forbidden to you. If every gentle sound, every living beauty stir you not to a holy song, but to some alien thought, then leave me, leave, I am forbidden to you. And a generation will yet arise and sing to beauty and to life and draw delight unending from the dew of heaven. And a people returned to life will hear the wealth of life's secrets from the vistas of the Carmel and the Sharon and from the delight of song and life's beauty. A holy light will abound. I'll let you finish the last two lines. And all existence will whisper, my beloved, I am permitted to you. Wow. Thank you, man. That was awesome.